This morning's reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes at and number chapter 3, which is on page 671 of the Church Bibles. A time for everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, As for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. So who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Great. Thanks, Paul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. And pray that you would help us to understand this passage and what you are saying to each one of us. Please give us ears and hearts that are open to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Well, if you are visiting church today, um, perhaps it's the first time, perhaps it's the first time you've ever been in church 
uh, or maybe even if you're a regular member here, I wonder if the, the content of that reading that Paul just read to us surprised you. Let me explain. Um, over a series of a few weeks, um, as Peter said, we're going through a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And it's, it's a rather surprising book in many ways. When you first read it, it can almost seem to be kind of bleak. I mean, uh, look at the beginning of, of verse 22 at the end of our passage. Um, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. In Ecclesiastes, there's no false optimism. There's, there's no sense that everything's just going to be all right. Everything's going to turn okay. It's a refreshingly honest book. There's no romantic ideas here. The writer says it as he sees it. Now, now the writer, these words are, are the words of someone who, who's called the teacher the teacher, who may in well fact be um, King Solomon, the famous King Solomon, son of King David, writing um, almost 3,000 years ago. And the teacher, is, as Phil explained to us two weeks ago, he's, he's looking at his life. He's looking at the experiences, the things he's been through in his life, but he's also looking more generally at, at life in general, at the things people go through. He's a bit like a, a philosopher sitting back in his green wing-back armchair with with a pipe draping down from his mouth, smoking his pipe, puffing these little um, clouds of smoke. And one idea that he keeps coming back to, and we see it in the end of verse 19, is that everything is meaningless. I mean, talk about bleak. Everything is meaningless. Now, the word, as Phil, Phil explained to us last time, um, is, is words called, it's a Hebrew word that means called havel, and it kind of means smoke, it's vapour, it's something that you can see for a moment, and then within seconds it just vanishes. Like, like the pipe smoke that this, this philosopher might be smoking, as he, as he blows out this smoke ring that goes up into the air, it's there for a moment, it seems solid, and then in a couple of seconds it just vanishes. The teacher is saying life is like that. Life is like that smoke. It's there one moment and then it's evaporated. There's nothing. What he's saying is life is so short. You live for this fraction of a time and then poof, you're gone. At the end of the day, we're almost an invisible blip on the timeline of history. Now, this is why Ecclesiastes is a bit of a hard book. It's quite challenging, but it's also incredibly powerful as well because of this. It's saying that if you are trying to create meaning for your life just on your own, just in reference to your own life, without reference to something bigger, something eternal, it won't last. Like that smoke, it will disappear. Any meaning we try and create for ourselves won't last beyond the grave. That is what Ecclesiastes is getting at. It's meant to be like a wake-up call to people who think that there is meaning in life without God. Well, what is the flip side to that then? If there's no meaning in life without God, because after the grave we're just like smoke, well, the flip side to it is that actually if you root your life inside of God and inside of what he is doing, not just now, but into eternity, you're going to find yourself part of something that goes on forever. Something that isn't like smoke that vanishes. Something solid. And in chapter 3, the teacher shows us that meaning 
and time in our lives are interwoven. They're actually deeply connected, time and meaning. So how can we think honestly about time and meaning without letting it take us to despair? How can we think about it honestly without despairing? Because as we read this, at the moment it could seem pretty bleak. And what this passage shows us is that we will never be able to think about time and our lives without despairing until we realise how God deals with time. This is the important thing, how God deals with time. As we think about Ecclesiastes 3 today, I want to ask three questions. I want to ask, how should we think about time? Why do we think about time? And what should we do with our time, okay? How should we think about it? Why do we think about it? And what should we do with it? So firstly then, how should we think about our time? The first thing that the teacher tells us is that all of life, the universe and everything, takes place according to God's time. Now, verses 1 to 8, you can see they're slightly indented in our translation. makes it easier to see. Verses 1 to 8 is a poem. It's a poem about the times, about the seasons of life. Good things happen, but really bad things happen as well. Verse 2, there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. Or verse 4, there is a time to weep and there is a time to dance. You've got these two extremes that the the teacher keeps setting up. You've got, um, so verse 2, being born and then also dying. You've got these two extremes. But it also includes the stuff in the middle. It also includes the the growing up and the getting older. What the teacher is saying is that everything, whatever it is, happens within how God has planned time to work. Whatever it is, it all exists within how God has planned time to work. And the teacher says because of that, it's beautiful. It's got this certain kind of pattern. Things kind of fit together and they work. It is beautiful, observed. Now, it doesn't mean that all of those things bring him joy. Things like death and killing. But what it is saying is that those things don't exist outside of his control. As if God is somehow helpless. All of those things exist within how he has ordered time and how we understand time. God created not only time itself, but the things that we use to to tell time. He created the, the moon. He created the sun and the stars. But at the same time, he has a purpose for all of it. Let's think about about this truth and how that might affect us in, in day-to-day life. If you've been through or are going through a particularly testing time or season in your life, I'm wondering if you've ever found yourself asking, why is this thing happening to me at this time? Why is this happening to me at this time? When we ask those kind of questions, when we go through those kind of seasons in life, I think there are kind of two sort of paths we end up going down. Now the first one, we can end up thinking that God I do not believe that you know what you are doing right now. We can end up resenting God because we don't understand his timing. It seems way off. 
And that kind of thinking left unchanged. It builds and builds and we keep on resenting him until he seems so distant and until basically we convince ourselves that God is not trustworthy. Now that is a faulty way of thinking about God and about time. But Ecclesiastes is getting us to think about God and time in a different way. It's saying, I may not understand what you are doing, God, in this particular moment. But I do believe that you are in control of time. And you are in control of where things are ultimately going. That's what the end of verse 11 is getting at. That even though we can't entirely fathom out what God is doing at every single moment in our specific situations, we can trust that throughout history, he is working out his perfect plan. That is a better path to take. What this means is that for everything we experience, we need to root it first in what God is doing, whatever it is we are going through. And we can do that by remembering four words. Four words. And this this is what the Bible is about from cover to finish. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Firstly, creation, there was a period in time when, when God created everything out of nothing. The universe and everything in it. God existed before all of that, but he made the universe, the stars and each one of us. But then fall. Sin entered into the world because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Sin brought death and the world was no longer the way it should be. And the third word, redemption. God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to save us from our sins and to forgive us, to give us new life. And last of all, restoration. There is a day coming when Jesus will come back and all things will be as they should be. He will come back as king. Those four words we need to remember. We have to understand that all of life's experiences are within the story of those four words. We find ourselves between that third and that fourth word at this period of time. This is God's big story. You see, if you don't want to think about time and get despaired and get depressed about it, you need to choose to see the time spent in your life as part of something bigger. Something greater. Because actually it reminds us who is in control of it all. It's not us, is it? God is in control. Those four words. It's no longer about us. It never has been. It's all about God. And that is how we should think about time. Secondly, I want to ask then, why do we think about time? I mean, why, why even is, is the teacher wrestling with this idea of time? And why can it bring about despair when, when we think about it, when we think about how short life is? Well, the passage tells us it's because actually we all have a longing for more time. We all have a longing for more time. Now, some of you might have seen or heard a recent advert that's been on the TV and radio doing the rounds um, for an online car sales um, uh, company. And actually, it brilliantly picks up on this idea that we all want more time. There was a woman talking to the camera sitting on the sofa, and she said something like, I recently sold my car through this company, and you know what? I could have got more money for it if I sold it privately. But some of us value our time more than a few extra quid. She's right, isn't she? Actually, the, those advertisers have picked up on something true, that we do actually, I think, value time more than some extra money. 
Now, obviously, that idea has been exploited, so you can sell your car for far less than it's worth. But she's right, isn't she? She's right. I mean, we do value our time. Who of us on our deathbed wouldn't think that actually we want more time, more time with our family, more time to be doing the things that God wants us to do? Not only do we value the time we have in this life, but I think most of us, if we are honest, we don't want our time to just suddenly run out when we die. We certainly don't want to think about that, about our families and friends like that, that just time runs out when you die. But why is that? Why, why are we even asking this question this morning? Well, look back at the middle of verse 11. This is the key. You might even say that this is part of the key to the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It says, He, God, also set eternity in the human heart. What this is saying is that it is no surprise that we have a deep desire for our time not running out when we die. Now, some might scoff and say that, do you know what, that Christian stuff about eternal life, it's just wishful thinking, isn't it? Who doesn't want to think that they live on after they die? Exactly. Who doesn't want to think that they, they, they can live on after they die? But have you ever asked the question, why people want to believe that they can live on after they die? It's right here. It's because God has placed that desire in our hearts. C.S. Lewis got it. He wrote this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. From the beginning, God made us to live with him forever. But the reason why there's that heartache, as Lewis put it, there's that desire for another world, is because sin has stripped us of our rights to it. We're no longer guaranteed that eternal life that our hearts crave for. The only way we could get it back again is if God intervenes, is if he hatched a rescue mission through his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us our sins and give us back that very eternal life that all our hearts crave for. Perhaps the most um, popular verse, the most well-known verse in the whole Bible speaks to this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Does that make sense? Do you and I, do we want eternal life? Then do what it says. Believe in Jesus and you will have eternal life. You will have the thing that your heart is craving. Quick recap then. All life and all time is in God's plans. So we don't need to be anxious, whatever it is. Whatever happens to us this week, we do not need to be anxious. It all exists within God's plan for what he is doing in history. Secondly, God has placed a longing for eternal life in all of our hearts, which is freely given to us in Jesus Christ. And now is the time to do something about it. Lastly then, if we believe those first two things, well then what should we do with the time that we have? I mean, how do we actually live in the light of this knowledge? What do we need to do different? Well, the words of the teacher is, We use our time wisely. 
we use our time wisely, knowing that God is in control of time, knowing that there's this eternal life that exists for those who trust in Jesus. And actually, I think it means we can go back to that that last verse, verse 22, that, that seemed quite despairing. And I think we can read it again with new eyes. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. Does it sound different to you now that we've thought about those first two things? If we trust God's timing for our lives now and for the future, we can get on with enjoying our work, whatever the work is that God has given us. Because we know it has a purpose and we don't have to try and invent meaning for the work that we do because God has set the meaning for time. Look at the end of verse 13 as well. It says that everything is a gift from God, that this work is a gift from God. It's not something to be despised or something to be resented, but it is a gift from God. I wonder, are you happy? Are you joyful in your work? It's hard, isn't it? Some mornings, some days, it's really hard to be happy and joyful in our work, whether that's in the home or it's working in a shop or for a company or whether it's volunteering or maybe it's looking after family, maybe it's looking after yourself. Work can be hard, but there is a sense that we can be freed up from having to to create meaning for it because we know God's meaning is the meaning that counts, so we can take joy in it. It's not a superficial joy in pretending that everything's okay and that work is easy. It's not by pretending that work isn't hard. But when we work, whatever it is, we remember that we are loved by God and that we are part of something infinitely bigger. Isn't that freeing? We are part of what God is doing, so we are free to enjoy our work. Imagine all of us going out to work this week, whatever it is. Truly believing and living that out. The problem is we know that there will be times when we will feel like that, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves. Or we won't act as if we believe that it's true. That's because this passage says that there is a time, another time, still to come. That last word out of those four, can you remember it? Restoration. There is a time of restoration still to come. Verse 16 says, we live in a world where wickedness is found, even in the highest places, even in the very places it shouldn't exist. But God says in verses 15 and 17 that there will be a day when God will call the past to account. He will judge all of the injustice in the world. I was thinking and praying about what it means that, that all people will face judgment this week. And I think... It's it's very humbling, actually, because it's the ultimate leveller, the fact that all will be judged. Whoever we are, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, whether we look good and, and holy on the outside, or whether we're known to the whole world as the vilest criminal, whoever we are, judgment is the ultimate leveller, because all will be judged. God will call all things to account and he will judge, which is why now is the time to act in light of that and to act wisely, knowing that this day is coming. Of course, firstly, by making sure our trust is in Christ. Our trust is in Christ, so we don't need to fear that coming judgment. That day no longer holds fear for us because Christ has been judged in our place. But also, we need to make wise choices in our life. 
Remembering what God is doing in in the whole of time. Remembering how God has placed the desire for eternal life in our hearts. We need to use our lives right now to help others to see that there is freedom. Freedom when you believe that time is in God's hands. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this wake-up call of the book of Ecclesiastes. Father, we thank you that all time is in your hands, that nothing happens without you knowing about it, nothing is a surprise to you. And Lord, we thank you that you have placed that desire for eternal time, for eternal life in each one of our hearts. Help us to recognize that and help us to do something about it by putting our trust in Jesus. And help us to, to live and make wise decisions, knowing that there is a coming time. There is a a time of restoration. There is a time of judgment. We need to be right with you today, because we do not know when that time is coming. But also, Lord, help us to, to live out our work freely, knowing that we don't have to try and create meaning, but that all meaning comes from you, and that everything we do is in your hands. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.